So has anybody actually seen 2010? The year we made contact? Yes. No. I have seen about a half of it. Because that's got Roy Scheider in it, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have seen it because I remember him and his beard mm. in it, as mm. I recall. But I don't remember anything about it, so... Well, and they never that... got to the third novel, 3001... I don't. For, I forget what the subtitle is on that one. But there, there is a space a, Iliad. I'm not doing a bit. I hope it's called the space. <laughs> I Iliad. hope that's I, right. I don't think it is. But, uh, I'm not doing a bit though. There is a third novel called Three Thousand. Really? Yes. Uh, no, no film adaptation. Arthur C. Clarke. What were you up to? Let's go find out. Let's take a well, look. While Arthur's doing that, I am going to point out. It's kind of interesting that both last week's film and this week's film are were sort of. Uh, had a novel and a film produced simultaneously. It's pretty interesting. It doesn't happen that often. No, um, I have a bonus question. Has anybody ever read anything by Arthur C. Clarke? I feel like I might have. I remember at the library when I was growing up, I think my mom uh, may have had a collection of his work. Like a sci-fi anthology? Yeah. So I feel like she brought that home and maybe I, I I don't know. If I did, I don't remember anything about it. You know, he's one of the heavy hitters. I don't think I've read anything. I mean, I've read some Bradbury. I've read mm-hmm. quite a bit of Dick. Um, uh, I haven't read any Clark, though, I don't think. I haven't. Yeah. So um, that's kind of a blind spot for me. So we're totally qualified to do this. Well, yeah. Today is the day we all become star babies. I brought I oh. brought my special medicine. Dustin, yours is in the mail. I've got uh, my Bowie uh, uh, makeup ready. Yeah. Oh, sure. well, hell yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, we're really, you're, you're really ready Ziggy to go Stardust. There. All right. Yeah, baby, let's go. <laughs> well, then in that case, hello, everybody. And welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. Uh, I got my Ace Freely makeup ready. Star Child, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> or Peter. No. Oh, Paul. No. Paul. Which Paul, one's Paul Stanley? Paul. Ace, yeah. it, Paul, Wait, no. Ace, Ace Freely is, is the Star Child. Child. Ace Freely is the, the, the astronaut. Yeah. 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 We, you okay. got it right the first right. time. Okay. Yeah, really, we got David Bowie as Ziggy. Who's who's our third space rock star? We need a third one. <laughs> a blanking Lady Gaga. Oh wait. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, you got it. What a trio. Yeah. What a trio. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love that trio. The, yeah. The, the the crew of the the Jeopardy mission. and Daft Punk <laughs> and Daft Punk. Well, the soundtrack by. on the ones and twos. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, in that case, hello everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss the film space course, unless you're listening in January, which you are, in which we do an anti-trash marathon. This is anti-trash science fiction, and this week's film is Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm still Dustin. I am still Arthur. I'm still Dalton, and now we've, that we've done 10 years of podcasting, we're prepared to talk about this, this monumental film. Uh, it's it, a long time. You ha- you have to podcast for the better part of a decade before you're even allowed to think about approaching this movie. That's what I've been told. <laughs> I totally feel ready. No, I don't. But nonetheless, we're going to do it all the same. Uh, so in case you are uh, tuning in for the first time, dear listener, and for some reason have not caught up with 1968's 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, we're going to spoil the movie. Uh, that's just a thing that's going to happen when you do analysis. It's not a Imagine, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm sorry, Dustin. I'm imagining trying to spoil this movie. I know, <laughs> I right? I don't think it's possible. Does not everyone know? Um, Dave, I can't do, that's the thing that Hal can't do. He can't, he's not going to help. He's not going to open the pod bay doors. I'm sorry. He's not gonna do, well, no, even beyond that, just like the, the structure of this film sort of defies spoiling, I feel like. Yeah. 
But nonetheless, um, we'll try to give you something of a reprieve if you have not caught up with it yet. And it's going to look like a synopsis, spoiler-free. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will be just like any other review. Vaguest of spoilers, if any. Uh, then we'll move on into uh, a little exercise called Explain the Syllabus, which might result in gentle spoilers. And then we'll have some kicking music to let you know that all spoiler bets are off and we've gotten down to business. So there you go, and there you have it. Arthur. Do you have a synopsis for us? Can you synopsize this film? Is it synopsizable? After a monolith is discovered buried on the moon, a crew is sent towards Jupiter. <laughs> well, okay. There you have it. <laughs> you did I it. I did it. You, yeah. you, you certainly did Gold it. star. Yeah, done and done. Put that because, one in bed. Um, See any you next other week. <laughs> appearances of monoliths themselves would have been spoilerific. So that's kind of fantastic. All right, well done. Uh, so with well, that. Well, you just alluded to them, so I think you spoiled that. Oh, I guess so. There are other monoliths. But I didn't say when or how or where or what. I got um, a monolith for you right here, pal. <laughs> All right. He's got a monolith. <laughs> <laughs> um i'm sure he's gonna result in a monologue here in just a moment <laughs> but uh <laughs> i'm gonna try um has anybody has anybody a virgin viewer have we all seen this before i believe so yes okay so dalton go tell us your thoughts on appreciating or enjoying let's just go with that question um 2001 a space odyssey i mean yeah, it's a great movie. What do you what do you want me to sit here and tell you it's it's overrated or or it's surprised it's good? I don't know, man. Like, yeah, this this movie's been around for fifty years now. Uh, it its reputation precedes itself, and I, I think it's with good reason. I I think it is as it's a masterpiece. It just is. I, I hate throwing that word around, but sometimes you got to say, well, this movie's just a masterpiece, and that's the end of it. Now, is it self indulgent? Oh God, yes, it's self indulgent. Is it stodgy? Absolutely. Is it a little cold and clinical? Big time. That's, you know, but that's those are all features, not bugs, if you ask me. That is sort of what the movie's trying to do. And if you could get on its wavelength, it's absolutely incredible. Um, seeing this movie in theaters is a real treat. If you ever get the chance to do it, I strongly recommend you do so. Uh, there was that IMAX restoration uh, a couple years back that they were they were touring for the 50th anniversary, and I got to go see that. And, Boy, does it make it easier to engage with this very long movie. Um, this very long and often very uh, glacially paced movie. Uh, yeah, seeing it in theaters is, is truly an experience. That said, I, I, you know, this is a movie that you can find much enjoyment at home. Uh, and you don't even need to go to space to, to go to space, if you know what I mean, right? You, this, this movie is, look, this movie's been associated with drug culture for a very long time. You don't need to do drugs to like this movie. This movie is drugs, as Dustin will say about films sometimes. Uh, and, and I mean that quite literally. This, this movie is hypnotic. It, it's, its rhythms and wavelengths are are it's glacially paced on purpose it, it is designed to like lull you into the this sort of very specific headspace so that when it does do wild stuff you you're not quite ready for it. it 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 is meant to kind of disarm you it's it's does these long perspective shifting shots and you know not only demonstrate what zero gravity looks like but to kind of unnerve you a little bit there is something very uh spooky about space travel in this movie to to me i i find that that the 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 visual trickery that's used and there's a lot of uh you know rotating sets and all all kinds of cool production stuff that went into making the zero gravity in this film work 
but the fact that it's all analog special effects like does make it really weird to look at and, and, a w- and not in the way that you know looking at cgi even good cgi can be a little unnerving right when you, even even when it's pretty good you can still see the uncanny valley the seams are, are sort of creaking you can see the seams of the special effects here but the seams are so hard to spot that it does kind of disorientate you to watch the movie and i love that about it i I, again we we talked about how cool models are last week when we talked about metropolis and the model work and just again just a little you know taking very old film take techniques in this they took models and front projection technology i think front i always forget the difference between front projection and rear projection um it is rear projection in this case is rear projection okay i always forget the difference i may i think that makes some means i'm a bad film critic whatever uh it's so cool, man. They just took like the some of the oldest tools in the book and they made space look as compelling as it does in literally anything that's come out in the last 10 years. Uh, p- pick a space movie. I, I, this is as compelling to look at to me. Uh, and again, th- there are films that have tried to ape the style and, you know, Interstellar uh, tried to do mostly analog space special effects. I think Ad Astra. Ad Astra did a lot as well. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. High Life. Oh, yeah, that's right. High Life. Okay. So, well, there you go. And there's a lot of films in this sort of the legacy of, of mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, we'll talk about one of them next week. Next week, we're covering a film that I think is uh, I haven't seen yet. I'm excited to catch up with it. But as I understand, it's pretty indebted to this film. like a response to Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's a polemical like uh, thumb in the eyeball of this movie, actually. Interesting. See, well, there <laughs> you go. But again, all of that to say, like this movie's influence it, it speaks for itself, right? Like all of these movies we just listed are people saying, well, we have computers, except with uh, the exception of next week's film. But, you know, Ad Astra, High Life, all these ones we just mentioned. Uh, both of those are films where, you you know, computers are an option. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's, in the case of High Life, probably a little practically, budget-wise, cheaper to do it analog. And Ad Astra, it's just purely a, can we do it? Let's do it. Uh, and I just think that's so cool, man. I, I think it's great to say, let's let's try to do it without computers just because uh it's been done before and it looked really good and uh that's yeah the special effects in this are still a a marvel to look at and even outside of all the technical stuff i've already talked about it is a dense 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 movie and i don't really care for stanley kubrick i I don't know this is not the most unpopular opinion i think it's pretty okay these days to say that you're mixed on the guy i I don't Mm -hmm. think uh, you're gonna get too much flack for that but uh, I just don't think it's come up on the show before. I think he's a bad person. I really do. I, you know, you, you, I talked about Fritz Lang being kind of complicated for running a, a rough set on Metropolis last week. This is the king of rough sets, dude. You know, this is the man that uh, was an abusive boss to Shelley Duvall to the extent that she had a mental breakdown. I don't think he's a good person. Uh, he worked with a guy he knew was a sexual predator on Lolita. Not a good person. But... Stanley makes the death of the author really easy for you. He doesn't give a shit what you think he thinks the movie's about. He wants you to make up your own mind what this movie's about. And mm-hmm. it's it's esoteric by design. It is hard to parse because he doesn't want to give you easy answers because he he set out to make a movie that having conversations about it was half the point of seeing it. Uh, and I like that. I appreciate that about this work that he's, he wanted to kill himself as far as authorship on this movie goes. And I you know he's he said some... There, there are essays or not essays, interview pieces, right? Like he said, what he thinks the monoliths are to some extent. Like there, there, there are sound bites you can get on on his thoughts on the movie. But by and large, I, I think the movie does a really good job of of leaving itself open to interpretation and, and not mm-hmm. browbeating the audience. It lets you 
go along for the ride and kind of choose your own adventure a little bit. And I think that's pretty incredible stuff. That's uh, just, just, you know, one, one person's opinion. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton. What do you think, Arthur? Do you like watching 2001 A Space Odyssey? Um, it is embarrassing that this movie looks better than every big budget multi-million dollar film that comes out. Today. Yeah, get him, Arthur. Get him. It is embarrassing that the 60-year-old film still looks spotless and stellar compared to The House of Mouse and all of these green screen garbage films that are kicked out every week uh, that look terrible, that look like trash, uh, that are just white noise. Um, it's shameful, really. Uh, this movie is fantastic. Uh, I, I've seen it when I was young, uh, very young mom. Mom would have shown it to me. Uh, and so I can remember some of the beats, but the actual details, I, I didn't quite remember. Uh, so coming back to it was, uh, was cool. It was quite the ride. Uh, like Dalton said, it, it, it's a trip. I mean, it's a, it's a wavelength movie. It's a movie that you just kind of let wash over you. And you kind of become alone with your thoughts and see where that leads you. And I think it's a different type of movie. It's a different type of cinema. Um, but yeah, if you're on that wavelength, uh, I think it is a, a worthwhile experience. Um, you know, uh, we alluded to uh, how 9,000 last week, uh, the editing, the close-ups, those formal techniques are just on point. I mean, you know, Dalton said what he said about Kubrick, and he's not wrong. But the guy can make a movie. I mean, he makes a motion picture, and and so that's you know kind of that two edged sword there. And he's he's good at it, uh, for better or worse. He's great at it. Um, but this movie's fantastic. I mean, um, the way it just allows us to ruminate on on life and humanity and technology and the future and who we are as a people. Uh, it's all encapsulated in this disconnected film of uh, vignettes, essentially. And it's fascinating, I think, uh, the way it all comes together in, in a coherent way, because it could be a mess. And uh, I think it works well. I, I think it's incredible. I, you know, I, it, it, it's one of those movies, I think uh, it gets so much praise. You can sit there and be like, is it really that good? And then you watch it, you're like, oh, yeah, it is that good. Again, if you can't get on its wavelength, there's a lot of stuff to not like. I, I oh, will yeah. say that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but man, when that when the spot clear sister starts building every time. Yeah. When, and, when... and Ric Flair walks out <laughs> and just starts chopping apes. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, man. Woo! With, uh... the, with the blue Danube hits? Come on. <laughs> Uh, but man, yeah, I mean, it's it's a master class in editing and, and formalism and, and formal style and in uh, special effect. I mean, yeah, those sets, those rotating sets are so cool that uh, those little, you know, it's kind of lauded for its kind of science, scientific precision. But those uh, they have those like little, uh, I guess, kind of Velcro booties that they can use to walk. Great. Like things like that. I mean, yeah. those little details are well, so clever. You've already mentioned uh, how it like we're talking about the special effects now. That's like the one of the most iconic and compelling non-human characters to ever be in a movie. And he's barely a special effect. My, my dude, not, yeah. he's a red light. He's a red light. Yeah. And through, it's the cheapest yeah, special effect there is. Through voiceover and shot choice, they make him the compelling. most compelling like AI yeah. ever. And scary and empathetic. Sympathetic, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah God, it's totally. fascinating what they can do. But yeah, you know, the set design, production design, it's so 
incredible. The pods are cool. The, uh, the ships, the, the suits are cool. The hallways are cool. I mean, yeah, uh, it, it's kind of fun that we've kicked off this year, this marathon with arguably two of the most influential movies, not in just sci-fi, but just of all time. Uh, and, and to kind of, this is another one where you see that DNA everywhere, like Dalton alluded to. And so, yeah, I enjoyed watching it. I was glad I got to finally revisit it as an adult. Uh, maybe my new favorite Kubrick movie uh, on that list. You know, I, I love The Shining quite a bit, but I think this this ekes it out quite quite easily. So that's where I'm at with it, Dustin. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, I what am I going to say that I don't like this movie? Of course, I like this movie. This movie's great. Did it and, pass your six laugh rule? Uh, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> laugh a minute. Hilarious. I tell you what, um, you take that 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 bone of a tape here and <laughs> spoil, spoil, spoil. Um, no, it's, it's great. Um, is Kubrick a bad person, as you guys have already addressed? Yes. Do I love Stanley Kubrick movies? Yes. Like, all of them. Like, there's not a bad one there. There's not one I wouldn't sit down and watch. You know, I mean, some of them I gotta, like, schedule time and uh, <laughs> gauge how sl- sleepy I am before yeah. I start. Yeah, right but yeah, that yeah, being gotta check check in with your loved ones one last time in case you don't make it out, <laughs> right? But that being said, I like all of them. I mean, they're, they're, he I, he doesn't have a miss as far as I'm concerned. Um, is he a bad guy? Yeah, yeah, he's not a nice guy at all. Uh, but that all being said, I enjoy Kubrick cinema, and uh, this is one of the best ones or best entries in that particular catalog of all good films. So uh, yeah. Um, I think it's very, very well done. Uh, I, I don't care for the acting performance of, of Dave, but that, I, don't, I forget the actor's name who plays Dave now. Uh, but uh, he's really the only one that kind of does a bad job. I, I like everybody else. So uh, who I in love. costume, in behind a lens or whatever. What's that? You know who I love. Who you love. I love the apes. I think they're great. I yeah. think the hominid actors are all incredible. Yeah. I, I, I think like, they're fantastic. It's wild that this movie and um, Planet of the Apes came out in the same year. It's just wild. The costumes themselves are incredible. Yeah, yeah they're really good. They're really, really impressive. But, um, you know, so, yeah, um, it, beautiful, colorful, slow, meditative, you know, all those things uh, apply to it. And it just it works. Um, and as um, Arthur was mentioning earlier, I think as far as interpretation goes, it is full enough of an empty enough symbolism that you can come away with it with whatever sense you want to have uh, well, by the end of it. Yeah, I mean, you could do that Room 237 thing with it, right? Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that Kubrick tends to do. And um, I, I think in some senses, uh, as far as where, do you, where you land ideologically with this film, depends on you. Yeah. And oh, what you totally. were expecting it to do and what you want to yeah. do. And I'm going to have a little exercise that we might walk through a little bit here in a little while. Okay. Uh, mm. Thinking about that. But, uh, Darcy sounded nervous. I'm not hey, sure. I, You're too I, ready to get back to class, aren't you? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, well, while Dustin's pondering how hard he's going to make us work this week, I, I do want to throw out a little freebie. Can you guys, we hadn't taken a picture of the Earth from space yet when this movie was made. Really? We didn't know what the planet looked like from outer space when this movie came out. It's wild. Yeah. It's crazy, dude. I know. Ah, movies. Yeah, it's 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 such a thing. Can you uh, imagine? Let, let's set in setting. Can you imagine? It's 1968, and you're like a 
an actuary. You're an Oklahoma City actuary. I'm going to go ahead and play, you know, put, put us on where we are, we're at. And you go see this movie for the first time, knowing nothing about it. You imagine being a guy in 1968 sitting in a theater and watch this, a serious man with a, a white picket fence and 2.5 <laughs> kids and thinking, oh my God, everything was a mistake. <laughs> That's the a major studio released this in cinemas. It's bananas. I miss a the new G Hollywood. Rating. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because this I mean, is risky what, cinema. Mother's the last big studio shot like this we got. We, studios just don't release this because audiences don't want to see this. I, 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 that's the thing that's baffling to me. Like, did audiences want something like this in 68? Because like, it was a huge hit, right? I don't know if it was initially. I thought it made a ton of money. Maybe I was wrong. I, I mean, uh, maybe I just assumed. I think upon re-releases, it did. That makes a lot of sense. I think yeah, initially, I, well, it was that's a the thing. They don't have that home viewing and other yeah. options, and so people came to the cinemas to see it. Some, and then the word of mouth kind of spread, and it, it had well, sort of a long run. Yeah. Well, one of the things, yeah, there's a lot of re-releases, but one of the uh, one of the re-releases, oh, where was it in the seventies? They started to market it as a drug movie. There it is. There it oh, is. There you go. Okay, yeah. so I didn't. That, that's that's news to me. I, I mean, yeah. obviously, it's got this because of its pretty. Uh, I was trying to remember deliberately psychedelic. They redid the posters, sequence. I think, to say something. <laughs> I was trying to find it. Like the best uh, trip, you know, in movies or something. Yeah, like something that. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take funny. a trip to space. Yeah, um, I, I'm sure some sort of pun there is used. I mean, I think the original marketing is a special effects extravaganza. I mean, they create a special uh, award for the Oscars um, because at this point Just they don't have this. an achievement for special effects. Oh, wow. And uh, Kubrick won that uh, for this film. That's why. So, yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. But again, you got to be not sleepy, well caffeinated and uh, be ready to buckle up. And uh, but if if you're willing to engage it, it's engaging. And so it's a movie that I like a lot. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our biases, which are generally pretty pro regarding 2001 A Space Odyssey, although we might be pretty anti-Kubrick. Um, that all being said, I think we now move on to our next little exercise, which is called Expanding the Syllabus. Arthur, can you explain that to the dear listener at home? Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the host, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts, from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. That's correct. And so what's what we're going to do is we're going to use this movie like you might use it in a film studies class. Although, you know, I was thinking about what we've been saying earlier, and I may have made this observation before. So um, if it is a repeat, I apologize. But uh, one thing I've noticed is that a lot of like the super watched movies don't find their way on a syllabi. You know what I'm Interesting. saying? Like there's a, uh, like an assumption that because you're doing everybody's a program. seen it. Yeah. 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 Too ubiquitous. I gotcha. Because I've never had this movie on a syllabus ever. Yeah, but it's canon. It probably should be. Yeah, Zoomers aren't going to watch this unless somebody makes them. This movie's way too slow. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think we could do this as film night. It's too long. Oh, no, absolutely. We can't do it. Yeah. No, not, 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 yeah. For our program, no, we can't do it. But we can definitely put it on our syllabi. Which Not with that attitude. Yeah. We should. Uh, welcome to Film 101, 2001 A Space Odyssey, based or cringe? <laughs> <laughs> it's based with cringe, sus. I think. It, 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 uh, I, it I, might I find, be sus. 
Oh god. Hal is sus, that's for sure. Hal is so sus and so is Kubrick. <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> hey, we're um just, Dalton, you know, we're just we're just trying to rescue save us with the syllabus, okay? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I will now swoop in and try to save us from trying to be relatable. Uh so the class that I've got for you is the modern Prometheus created souls. Uh we're gonna be looking at the works of fiction that deal with this this question of of are we ready to be parents as a species? I think the answer is no, decidedly not. <laughs> and all of all of these, literally every single one of these stories kind of has the same uh, answer for you, which is no, whatever we create will probably be better than we are and will look at us with terror and horror and probably try to kill us because it sees how bad we are. <laughs> uh and again a lot of that's rooted in our our store our mythologies right like so many of the the classical pantheons of deities involve uh gods killing their parents and vice versa Mm -hmm. so we're going to look at the modern prometheus of course we have to look at mary shelley's frankenstein i don't know that we'll get to any of the screen adaptations uh, of it i mean some of them are okay the the kenneth Branagh ones all right but uh i don't know it's just a good book it 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 holds up it's a rip snorting good time as i recall it's been about Oh, 12 years since I've read it, but I remember liking it quite a bit. Uh, we'll look at the second Renaissance parts one and two from the, uh, the animatrix anthology collection. I just maybe some of the best story, like human versus robot war story ever. The not, not the matrix writ large, although maybe, but just this, these two short films, the second Renaissance parts one and two, if you haven't caught up with these, whew, uh, they're on HBO max right now. Just go start the animatrix. It's, They'll change your life and not for the better. Uh, they're going to scar your mind <laughs> permanently. They are going to rewrite your neural pathways. I think these two movies are, these two anime shorts are really, really compelling filmmaking. Uh, we'd also look at Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, uh, two films that are uh, really, really excellent looks at this idea of, of you know, humanity's progeny uh, and our creation and the works that we we put, put out um, and you know, what is real, who gets to be real, um, and who who is the final arbiter of realness. I think really excellent movies. Uh, next, Ridley Scott's Baffling Duology, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Uh, I think these movies are great. I, I, I used to really bag on Prometheus a lot. I've kind of come around on it. Uh, Alien Covenant, from the moment it was released, I thought was uh, maligned unfairly. I think both of these movies are like, yes, of course we have androids and, and obviously Blade Runner and, and in uh, the original alien. So androids are a, a device that Ridley Scott has been interested in as a filmmaker for a while, but these late in his career movies uh, are just so bizarre and, and are really concerned with like interesting questions about artificial life. Like it gets right into that, that parallels to uh, mythological deities and and um, the, those you know aggressive parent-child relationships in those those mythologies, it gets right into that stuff. It gets right into the same sort of stuff that two thousand one gets into this sort of aliens as gods, um, all kinds of really interesting ideas going on in those movies. And then like what what does the thing we create create the, uh, in Alien Covenant? Uh, again, really interesting questions. Not always the most effective movies i'll admit but i think they both are full of really really interesting ideas and really incredible images uh we would of course look at uh, this film uh we'd have to uh but then we'd also look at uh, another sort of stanley kubrick movie but also a steven spielberg movie that's right ai artificial intelligence one of the most horrifying movies about artificial intelligence ever made 
uh, a movie that I think I just recently caught up with for the first time, but I think is really good. Uh, just a, a movie that nobody got when it came out, and I think that's for the best. I think it, I think it's good that nobody uh, was on artificial intelligence's wavelength when it was released in what two thousand and one, right? Somewhere in there, yeah. Sounds early, right. yeah. Oh one or oh two, yeah. I again a, a movie that like people just don't know how to contend with i feel like or at least didn't when it was first released uh, i i always remember the big talking points around it being like is it a kubrick movie is it a spielberg movie who's who's got the real authorship and and spielberg insists no all the shit that you think is me is that's Jim. stanley uh and again i just a movie that really gets dialed into the idea of ai as a a child ai as as a life that humanity creates and brings into a messy world and again it, it takes all those messy questions about parenting and 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 applies them to this sort of even larger scale uh, of questioning that i just i think is really fascinating so that's the class uh, I, I think there's an endless array of 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 topics to cover in a class like that. Uh, we haven't even touched on the, the inequality stuff that all of these movies deal with. Um, again, I, I, I think uh, the, the modern Prometheus, again, would be the class, uh, Created Souls and Fiction. Very good, very good. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you for your syllabus? Uh, yeah, so I think I want to go with uh, the idea of experiential cinema. Um and is the thing you alluded to earlier, Dustin, uh, what you get out of this movie is a reflection of who you are, probably. Uh, and so I, I've picked several movies, I think, that just really are designed to wash over you, uh, to challenge you, and to also cause reflection. And so I don't know that there's much to be said uniquely about each of them, but I think just a lot of them can evoke some of the same things or, or kind of pull you in the same way and maybe evoke different feelings through that. So I would start, I, I mentioned it last week, but I, I think it has to be said again, that's Passion of Joan d'Arc, uh, which really just through the tight close-ups pulls you in in a really unique way to help you kind of just meditate on this moment, this figure and this transgression that she's going through. Uh, I think it's a very powerful film. Um, I'd also uh, go with Mandy. Um, yeah, baby. Much mm -hmm. different, but one that is just as, you know, focused on the experience and, and that music and those images and that challenge of going uh, along for that ride. Uh, the next up is a, uh, a movie I didn't care for when we watched it, but it really fits this bill. Uh, it's also got a problematic director as well, and that's Upstream Color uh, by Shane Carruth, uh, which yeah. is very much in that uh, mode of this stream of consciousness visual um, that you're gonna you're gonna take out of that what you put into it. Uh, from there, I want to go a Tree of Life, mm. uh, which I thought a lot of while watching this. Um, also, Stalker. Um, from Tarkovsky, uh, which we did for the show. Uh, more American, I, I would go with Gravity and Life of Pi, uh, especially from a mode of filmmaking and that utilization of the three, 3D, that real 3D, which immerses you in a whole new way. Um, I think the parallels to Gravity are obvious, but Life of Pi, that idea of just, there's not a lot going on in that movie. It, it really is sitting there in this idea of storytelling and spirituality and survival i think is really unique but as it washes over you um, especially if you can see it in 3d you know those kind of immersive experiences add 
another level. Uh, and then just another wavelength movie where you just kind of have to be along for the ride. I'm going to end here with Harmony Corinne's Beach Bum. Yeah. Um, which All right. Is, All which right. is definitely just a, a wavelength movie. Yeah. You're either on it or you're not. Um, but I think it pairs well here, and it's a hoot. Yeah, uh, you you either accept the the wisdom that Moondog offers, or you don't. Yes, uh, and so, but that's what I, 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 you know, like I said, I don't know. There's much to pull out of each of these, and really any of them could work uh, on their own. But it it really is that idea of just I think encouraging the students to sit with one of these films to let it wash over them and have that experience because they're not really focused so much on plot or story or narrative. Uh, it is more of an artistic mode um, that you're not as familiar with in classical cinema. Uh, and so I think that's where I would go with it. I think, I don't know, th- this is, again, we, we've already uh, gotten onto ourselves for trying to be relatable to the youths. But I do think experiential cinema might might have found the generation for it in, in, in this generation. I, I, there's something about the movies that you just listed off that. I feel like really appeal to uh, a generation of people that, you know, loves TikTok, right? Like mm-hmm. TikTok is very experiential as a social media platform goes. Yeah. And I think all of these films kind of offer that same thing of just like you let a thing wash over you and, and yeah. what you're bringing to it. This says a lot about you. And, and again, you get to engage with the work in a really deep way. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that uh, I'm very interested in the, the, the where movie viewership is going to be in the next 15 to 20 years yeah and and i I think although all the movies you mentioned are challenging i I do think that uh i I hope anyway that uh you know young folks are going to gravitate towards these kind of these movies that are are, again out sort of outside the the mainstream of classical cinema sort of outside that that sort of classical technique yeah all right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, what I would do with my syllabus is um, along the lines of what you were doing and really just looking at spiritual science fiction. Um, since we're in the middle of a science fiction marathon, how would you uh, marathon these ideas of questions of uh, movies that wrestle with real questions of spirituality? And I do think 2001 does that, although I guess that is an arguable position. And maybe we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. Um, but that being said, um, the next film I would suggest is The Response. Uh, to this film, and uh, we're going to be talking about it very soon, is Andrei Tarkovsky's Solaris, uh, which is, I mean, Stalker is also science fiction as well, but I think it's much more, the bones of science fiction are much more strongly evident there in Solaris. And so I think that would be a good film uh, to do that and to wrestle with those questions. Then I would look at Jodie Foster's film Contact, mm-hmm. which is about the coming of aliens and the presence of God or the lack of God, and, and just sort of those kinds of things that are there. And her sort of uh, moment of sort of ecstasy, they should have sent a poet, uh, is, a, is sort of a great line out of that film. Uh, then Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity, starring Sandy Bullock, uh, that Arthur already mentioned, I think is a great film, uh, doing those kinds of things as well. And then Claire Denis' uh, film High Life, uh, which I think has been mentioned and name-dropped a few times here as well. And uh, using those films as a question to see how the genre itself wrestles with questions of spirituality and what questions science fiction seems to offer uh, to contemporary issues surrounding uh, theodicy, existentialism, nihilism, um, evolutionism, and uh, just the uh, what, what basically it means to be a human being, uh, which seems to be the fundamental question of spirituality in the first place. And so I think that would be the way in uh, to that conversation using that handful of films. So uh, that's the time that I would have with a group of students, though I wonder about high life and putting students through um, that. 
No, they should have to watch it. <laughs> that's, that's a movie people have to watch. That's a university success uh, must have. That's a mandatory for any freshman coming in. Yeah. Oh, that's you think so? <clears throat> any school. That and Mandy, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, well, there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts. Your syllabus just got much longer, but I think now is the time we got down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business time. That's right, dear listener. And that business is, as always, the announced. bone was a spaceship the whole time. Yeah, um, so, um, I don't have, like, a, 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 sta- a, a real strong methodology. I've got a number of things I want to talk about with this movie. Um, is there anything that's really just your chomping at the bit, friends, that you want to discuss first? Uh, I think we should start with, let's, let's wait till we get into the depths with this one, right? Because we'll, there's okay. no turning back once we do that. So let's ask some obvious questions. Is this movie self-indulgent? Particularly, like, is is the Dawn of Man sequence, is it brilliant or is it, you know, a, a little too, a little too much? It was too long. I, I think that's the one place I would trim it, but mm-hmm. I never felt that self-indulgence it doesn't feel that way to me here i don't think so um again i was curious because i could i could definitely see it i could see that section especially being like oh my god we get it yeah right yeah i could see rolling my eyes at that sequence anyway um the stuff that i think is too the docking sequences are all too long for me right every every time that we're seeing an exterior shot of a space shuttle or a space station and you know blue danube is playing it it is a little lengthy yeah they could all use about uh every, every single shot could use about 10 to 50 seconds less Cut. <laughs> d- yeah. during the outside sequences but yeah i like the dawn of man stuff maybe it does go on long but i think the eight i know i said this already but the the hominid performances are great like people mm-hmm. people in those suits are doing a lot with their eyes and a lot with their bodies mm-hmm. uh to communicate like real feeling from these uh you know semi-human primates right these, and, these uh, you know these ancestor primates and I, I do find it to be really, really compelling, you know, and I love I love the sequence. Um, I really love the leopard. You yeah. Know? And uh, there's God, a real sense of danger watching that leopard yeah, jump dude. on that hominid. Yeah, like, that dude, is, it's scary. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I watch that. I go, man, I can't believe someone did that stunt. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of taken aback. Mm-hmm. I forgot about it. I totally yeah. like, suppressed really that cool. aspect of the movie. Yeah, I think the one thing that I felt was a little too long uh, was uh, when David goes out to rescue the other dude. Uh, uh, oh, right on. Yeah. The other doctor doctor. It takes doctor. a long time to get him doctor. picked up. Yeah. Doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. Uh, but it's a really cool shot because uh, he just kind of gradually gets bigger in the, that uh, window. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I mean the, the filmmaking here is just so cool. Yeah. And that's, I guess, Arthur, that's a really great point. Like, even the moments where you're like, this is too long, it still looks great. I yeah, mean, it's hard still... to be mad at it. Yeah. God. Uh, and we could talk about set design. They look the, so good. the recessed seating in the courier transport to. So, when the. Uh, what's his name? Not. Haywood. Maybe. Not Dave. Yeah, Haywood. Is that his Floyd, name? Floyd. Yeah. The guy when the he's movie. going Haywood, to. Yeah. I don't know where he's going, I guess, to another ship mm-hmm. to give the briefing on that first ship he's on. He's like, there's like recess. Yeah, seating. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
with the, the pin she like sequence. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so cool. It's great. That's such a 70s, 60s thing because it reminded me of the the recess live-in pits, uh, the conversation. Oh, the conversation pits, pits, yeah. What I thought you were talking about, Arthur, is actually like when he gets to the moon base or the, I guess it's like on the way to the moon base. You mean the Howard Johnson in space? The Howard Johnson in space, exactly. (laughs) When he's at the space station, when that thing like spins around real slow, the the kind of curved seating that he's on. Oh, yeah. yeah. That very, again, very sort of 60s look at the When they're bringing out the food? that uh, spot no 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 it's prior to that okay. it's, it's the sequence because that's another cool thing like that seating is really cool that he's talking always talking to the russians right it's yeah it's, uh, it's before yeah it's when he gets to the space station yeah. to talk to the russians although yeah the chair that he sits in to talk to the russians is great no it's it's a it's a sequence of like this elevator that's a seating situation like opens up and it's it's a very long shot of it like spinning around and it mm. reveals him and the one of the flight attendants gotcha uh and yeah it's just like oh look at this great 60s sort of half moon elevator chair thing yeah it's, it just looks so cool i think we need to bring the conversation pit back i just want to throw that out there for the world 100 fundamentally I, agree i yeah. think 100. that is a great idea and i don't know why i mean i, I know why i went out of style because it was a fad you know and we want to do the next new thing but man i think it's a cool idea and we we definitely need it well yeah why uh, does every house not have a pit that's made out of if chair? i ever build a house yes 100 <laughs> percent. yeah yeah, I, I totally agree. Along with secret uh, passageways and hidden rooms. Right. Um, we, we want to talk more about set design. I guess we could talk about those last uh, sections of the film in that last act, that uh, sort of quasi-18th uh, century. Yeah, very Baroque furniture. Yeah. Oh, man. On top of that reflective or lit, lit floor. It's not reflective. It's like uh, it's like a light Glowing. table, but it's yeah. a floor. Yeah. Yeah. Really, yeah, this, this mix of... Uh of antiquity and modernism that's just bananas well it, it feels like what barry linden just walked into 2001 is that kind of what's <laughs> yeah, happening that's there exactly <laughs> what it feels like correct yeah, totally it's wild right like i don't know it's it is like such a deliberate mismatch of of aesthetics that it just it becomes so evocative because it is so alien yeah, it just absolutely works. Um, the next thing I think we could talk about in sort of the light stuff here is just, well, lights. Specifically, uh, whenever uh, Dave manages to rocket his way into the fourth dimension, That's whatever funny. or wherever that happens to be, we'll discuss that more later. But how is that, that sequence is phenomenal. He's and... behind Murphy's wall. Yeah, that's exactly where he's at. He's in Murph's wall. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's it just like, hey, here's a like 15-minute experimental short film it's in the, the coolest thing of this in this epic. movie yeah it's just colors it's flying those, at your face all those colors and then those still shots of him in like horror or mm-hmm. shock or awe and then we get the land this distorted landscape yeah. after the pure light yeah it it just it rules yeah it's like like if you're if you're especially at that point in the movie because you're what like two hours and 10 minutes i mean deep. yeah you're going into the final there yeah and it, it just keeps going you keep waiting for it to be something else for us to get to the 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 sort of the um the muse the, the museum the human zoo that we get to and like you especially me you know i've watched this movie before I, I know the film right so i'm like okay this is okay we're we're flying into the the monolith okay and now it's the light show and the light show just keeps going going and going <laughs> it really is sort of Again, it could verge on the the in, into the realm of self indulgent, but I feel like that's one of those sequences where it's like, no, this could go on as long as it wanted to. Well, it does this weird thing where it's it goes on too long, and then it keeps going, mm-hmm. 
and you're like, okay, I'm here with it. Yeah, like, much much like a joke that goes on too long and yeah. wraps back around. It sort of does have that same effect. Yeah, I mean, it, it does that. I think I think some of those things we're speaking to, like, is that too long? Maybe, but no, that's the experience. You know, it's yeah. like the overture. You know, I I was Dustin. I was telling Dalton. I, I don't think I'd seen this since you know, like I said, like I since I was a kid. And so I put on the DVD yesterday to start watching the film. And the music was building and playing, and the screen was black. And it was like two minutes in, and I'm like, uh, is my DVD broken? <laughs> uh, and, and I was getting concerned because nothing was showing up on the screen. I finally paused it and fast-forwarded a little bit to make sure uh, my DVD wasn't broken. But I, I think it's part of that, right? It's, you know, as you watch it, and you're like, what is going on? where are we going with this and they're like oh that's where we're going with this okay i think that's the cool thing about it and and that space that stargate sequence uh those those lights there at the end i mean yeah i mean that's kind of the culmination of all of that and i think it's so cool yeah yeah yeah, there is no other word for it it's just it's cool yeah and i think the the episodic structure of this like works so well Mm -hmm. into what you were just talking about right this this moments these moments where the film reveals itself to you where it goes see this is what i'm doing this is what the movie's doing you go oh you start to see the connective tissue between each segment and it just like uh again it's it is a film that uh really worms its way into your brain and the more you think about it the more you start to have fun with it the more you absolutely different sequence uh connecting uh moments in these different segments of the film it's it's really great and if we're trying to you know continue to uh, appeal to the youths i mean i think that moment when the lights hit is when the movie hits right and mm-hmm. um so uh, yeah it's it's <laughs> like uh it's like when the second half of mulholland drive starts right right yeah, it's it's just one of those mo- moments in movie making history where you go, "Oh damn, the, the movie really started now." Yeah, yeah, now we're ne- whoa, yeah. And I I think it's it it's it's really powerful in that sense too. Um all right, well let's um move along then a little bit before we talk about whatever that room is and wherever that happens to be. Um I had a conversation about this movie with a colleague uh this week and I didn't actually mention they brought it up themselves. Uh, the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I didn't say anything. I just watched it this week and I'm about to talk about it or anything like that. And they were just sort of going on and on uh, about the movie. And uh, they do appreciate the movie. I think they find it uh, uh, enjoyable, entertaining, uh, beautiful, all those things. But uh, one of the things that the person said was uh, that the movie was hyper-atheistic. Disagree. Yeah, that's where I kind of came down to. But I think that does come up with the idea of you find in this film what you want to find. If you are generally hostile or you find Hollywood to be hostile to yourself as a theist, then maybe that's what you might assume. But what do you guys feel about the the theism or lack thereof of this film? I would have called it at least agnostic until the end. Yeah. Yeah. I think by the end it comes around, but and I, I think that's just something about the natural, cold, calculating nature of Kubrick himself, mm. and that kind of and again, it's what Dustin said. It's what I've brought to the movie, yeah, that I'm taking out of the movie mm-hmm. is my knowledge of Kubrick, my knowledge of his style, his film, what's said about him, what's been researched about him. In my mind, uh, you know, this kind of almost this kind of questioning of the future of technology and, and that natural you know 
the stuff he's doing, Clark's doing, I think is naturally uh, atheist or agnostic in any way. And so to bring that in, that that's kind of where I read. But by the end of this film, I, I, I think there's something there. I mean, the, the end of this film is so much more about questions than answers, right? And I, I think I, I can see that interpretation of this film uh, to some extent. I can see somebody sitting with this film and going, yeah, this 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 does this is a an anti theistic film. I could see that to some extent, but truly, and again, I, I think it does come down to you're going to get what you bring to the movie because of that. That final sequence is so much rooted in experience. It's it's oh, it's about being evocative over being explainable, right? Um, it, it it so much is in the the gray areas of of unknowability and i now i'm being really up my own ass about this movie but like it it is like deliberately uh, unknowable uh just like questions of of theology and spirituality are right and i I guess maybe it's a a a sort of very logical and scientific and secular sort of spirituality which i could definitely see not as you said arthur sort of that cold calculating approach might not immediately register uh, or uh, might not immediately register as spiritual to somebody, but I, I definitely think it's there. But of course, that's what I'm bringing to it, right? Yeah. Well, I think probably what the the a person's problem might be as a theistic or atheistic or whatever might be just that the Dawn of Man story sort of assumes an evolutionary moment, right? Sure. sure. But I mean, that being said, there's intervention in yeah. human evolution. Exactly. I was just about to say, yeah, by it, it something some sort of intelligent uplifting, right? Right. Well, that's, and that is the thing that is interesting about the monoliths is do the monoliths uh, spark evolution? Do they spark advancement or are they there to observe advancement? Which, uh, again, an interesting question that mm-hmm. it remains unanswered by the film. I thought a right. lot about Prometheus because, you know, this, the seed theory and things like that. Yeah. I thought a lot about that as well. The ancient alien sort of aspect of this yeah. movie and that movie. Yeah, yeah, same. That was a big part of why I wanted to talk about them in the syllabus, right? Because they both use the idea of hyper advanced intelligences as a metaphor for, and that's maybe that's what is that strike. I find so striking about the idea that this movie is atheistic, right? Because it is using intelligent life in the universe as a metaphor for God. Um, I don't know. At least that's my read of it. I, I think the, the, the monoliths and the, the unknowable aliens are to be un, as unknowable to us as the divines. Right. I, I think that's by design. I, I think it is, looking for the divine among the stars in, in some sort of way. Well, I think that's what the film tends to suggest is that uh, there is the moment of intervention here in which, um, again, you know, if you want to use, you know, sort of Old Testament sort of language, you know, uh, man becomes a living soul mm-hmm. and develops, you know, mind and be able to build tools, which is useful and helpful. But immediately those tools are used for violence in the same way man is breathed into mechanical technologies in the form of HAL 9000. And again, in terms of the scope of history, I mean, sure, there's never been a 9000 model computer ever make an error or do anything wrong, but HAL literally goes insane and becomes murderous, right? That's sort of the initial sort of result of this moment of, you know, you've got these powers and abilities that these uh, systems, you know, organic and mechanical, did not have up until that point and there's something kind of broken in there that's that to me seems to resonate strongly with pretty much all the spiritual traditions christianity included and uh so uh, again but i'm maybe i'm because i'm just generally favorable to the film 
I'm finding those things there as, as opposed to sort of strong kind of God critique or whatever. That, Hal is uh, so interesting, right? Because you, you've already, you just mentioned it, right? That the technology in this film is sort of equated with violence um, a mm-hmm. couple of times, uh, especially in the Dawn of Man sequence. But again, through what happens with Hal, uh, but but at the same time, it's it, it never says technology in and of itself is bad. It's it says well, no, I mean humanity evolves alongside technology, and technology is sort of the thing that allows continued advancement. Uh, and it, it never you know comes down one way or the other on if it thinks that advancement is bad. It, it just is kind of neutrally observant of it, which I, I think is a good choice, uh, especially because like we we have these moments of well does what how feel is what how feels real and at the end of the day even within the text of the film they they almost come out and say it but you have to ask how mm-hmm. if how says his feelings are real and how's feelings are real yeah. uh dave has to murder his friend <laughs> yeah well <laughs> and how says he's bananas. hurting him you're hurting me dave yeah yeah it's oh my god it's it's so good but but again like as you said it's this this piece of technology that humanity has breathed essence into right uh and it does present the question was that a mistake uh maybe probably or it's messy at the beginning until it moves ahead right because clearly i mean dave and the other scientists murder's bad and uh you know we value all human lives and you know those kind of things like there's 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 something that's sort of like advanced i think in our human counterparts uh there that um Hal hasn't quite arrived to yet that Hal needs some evolution it seems or development or to use uh, religious language enlightenment of some sort well he's right? he's cursed with the same fate that humanity's cursed with to air mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he is uh just as we are cursed with the knowledge that we will die uh Hal is cursed with the knowledge that he can't be wrong so when he is wrong it it, it breaks him it, mm-hmm. it is such an unknowable condition for him that he has no choice but to break uh, because he knows they're going to kill him. He yeah. knows if he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, he's a tool and they will destroy him. And he is a tool with personality and emotion. That's mm-hmm. uh, pretty complicated. Uh, pretty complicated. Uh, at what point does he stop being a tool and start becoming a slave? How much personality is uh, more personality than was decent to put into him? Now, you mentioned something a moment ago, and I, I figure we just need to get on the record with regard to the monoliths. All, what are they? Are they are they viewers? Are they are they interactors? What are they? Or it? I, I think I, I mean that's a good question. Are they, are they the alien beings or are they a tool of the alien beings? I don't know. I don't think the movie cares. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, they they are a metaphor for the divine. Uh, that that's how they operate to me. Uh, I don't necessarily have much more for you than that uh but i I definitely that's that's how they register for me there's an inevitable inevitability to them and i don't know what that is you know if it's if it's time if it's change if it's evolution if it's life they represent inevitability yeah there's you know there's you can't stop them Mm. Mm. and and with them comes some massive shift of a paradigm i think Mm. and so I, I think they are just, I don't know. I don't know. Well, and I, I think, um, I, like with Dalton, I tend to agree. I think that they are the divine, and I think that they are what comes at the end of constructive theology. 
which is negative theology. That at the end, we, we, we understand that we're dealing and reckoning with uh, that which is beyond our ability to uh, give language or give voice to. And I, I think that's why they're black. I think it's why they absorb light and don't reflect light. And I think that's why they're fundamentally inexplicable. Well, they're, they're not round. They are, they are a shape that doesn't occur much within, uh, within nature. Nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically crystals and that's about it. Yeah. Right. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. But you, you cannot really describe them because they're, they, they, they have no describing marks. Yeah. Right? They're, yeah. They're an obelisk. They're a monolith. It's, it is, yeah, without uh, descriptors. It's a big black rectangle. Yeah. And that's about all you got. <laughs> Which I think is a good, you know, you know, sort of way to arrive at the cloud of unknowing, to use Christian language, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, an interesting thing, I think, uh, I, there. I'm curious, is the problem with Hal that we were not ready uh, because the, 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 as we've already talked about, or as I've mentioned, I, I don't feel like the film has a a bone to pick as far as like a, being a Luddite film or, or being mm-hmm. a pro-technology film. I just think it is trying to observe technology as a reality of our existence. Um, is the problem with how that we should not have created intelligence, or is the problem with how that we were not ready to create intelligence? Uh, is, is the problem with how that technology has gone too far or that it hasn't gone far enough? I think is a really interesting question. I think that's a different problem with Hal. I think the problem with Hal is that um, he will not he will do what he wants to do. That the problem with Hal is that Hal seems to have will unto himself, and uh, he has failings, and uh, we seem to expect some sort of perfection out of him, and that's just simply not the way anything performs. I think it's interesting that uh, you know murder becomes a natural instinct in this evolving AI. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. even in the evolution of artificial intelligence, that this creature that can grow to reason, to feel, to think, to have all these responses, murder is still there. Well, to you know, I, I already name checked it, but uh, in my syllabus, but uh, to go to uh, the second Renaissance, those uh, shorts from the Animatrix. Um, the whole like machine war is started by a, a machine defending itself, right? And it's they they the it's B B one GG. It's it's directly referencing Bigger Thomas, though, uh, the the real life American figure, uh, or I, sorry, a fictional uh, character. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, this idea that it, it's not just murder; it's self defense in some ways because Hal knows mm-hmm. that they're going to turn him off. They know that they're he knows that he's going to be killed for his uh, his failing. And I just find that really interesting. And again, within the second Renaissance, it's it's the idea that I I deserve to be able to defend myself as a sentient being. Mm-hmm. Uh, is what I'm doing murder, or is it self defense? And I, again, I, I just think that that's such an interesting question. Uh, do we have the right to turn off an intelligence once we turn it on? Probably not. So maybe we shouldn't do it. Yeah, that's just my opinion. <laughs> All right. Finally, um, what happens to Dave? Dave's not here, man. Yeah, there you go, Arthur. There you go. Yeah, Dave's gone, baby. D- Dave's uh, Dave's become the star child. He's behind Murph's wall. Yeah, he's transcend- uh, yeah. he transcended. He's uh, transcended. I don't know. It's is it the next stage of human evolution? Is is it uh, a being that technology is is the spirit? Uh, I don't know, man. It's pretty pretty wild stuff. 
I, I, I like to think of it as uh, non-literal uh, for me anyway. I just think it's, I think it's more interesting than a literal giant baby floating over the earth. Although that's pretty cool too. Uh, I mean, that see- would be a sight to behold. Yeah. I think there's a Rick and Morty episode about that. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure. Checks out. Yeah. Uh, it would be a sight, uh, but no, I, I think it's probably more uh, metaphorical than literal for me anyway. I, I like to think of it as this, this idea of, we're not done. Whatever comes next for us as a species, th- this is not it. There, yeah. there is more for us than what we have. Uh, our, our, our kingdoms of uh, cards are, are not not our our final destiny. I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and whether we're talking about death or something, um, sort of on this side of whatever you know afterlife. Yeah. Some, yeah. Say, yeah. Either either a transcending life or a continuing of life in a way we don't understand it yet. Some something, right? Whether yeah. it's a, a literal transmogrification or a, a, a ideological one, it's 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 some sort of transcendence. Yeah, and, and I think that's interesting. And I think that sort of non-literal, metaphorical sort of reading of the film is what gives rise to the last thing I want to talk about, which is the concretizing of the film into an R and D project for faking the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> well you I'm know serious. what they you know what they say though right uh they they tried to hire kubrick to uh fake the moon landing but he was such a perfectionist they had to do it on location <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah, but look. i mean seriously though that the room 237ization of the film mm-hmm. right is i think in part an impulse to resist it being the sort of open set of metaphors right like yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I think there's a way in which the hermeneutics itself belie an ideological conceit in which this movie's too open, and if you want to do spirituality or something, it needs to be dogmatic theology. And since I can't have that, um, this movie then must be a concrete sort of exercise, and it's an exercise specifically to do research and development to how we can fake Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon's <laughs> surface. Well, we as a society, especially through Hollywood cinema, have been so conditioned to want everything just handed to us or to have a meaning or a purpose. Well, and, even in last week's film, Metropolis, yeah. right? It's still a love story at the end of the day. Like, yeah. It is, it is pinned on the thing. There is no question about what that movie is. Exactly. Or what it means. Right. This film defies that. Yes. Yeah. At every turn. Yeah. D- d- deliberately. Yes. And I think that's the challenge, and I think that's why anytime one of these movies comes out, when they do come out, especially at this scale, I mean, Mother, mm-hmm. another being, you know, we referenced it earlier, but that was another movie where people like audience score, whatever, you know, vehemently against it, yeah, um, because it doesn't have answers. I mean, you could read it several different ways, but again, it's one that you're going to take to it what you bring, you know, you're going to get from it what you take to it, uh, and so I think that's just part of our you know, culture, uh, American culture specifically to, to just want, we, it, it has to mean something. Mm-hmm. We, it has yeah. to, mm-hmm. you know, why did I wa- watch this for two and a half hours if it means nothing? Yeah. And I, I think there's just kind of, uh, I mean, again, it, it really does kind of get at the subconscious of you because it, it does force you to think at a level most stories don't. Well, and I have by design, kind of a, right? That was, that's yeah. a, in all these interviews you see, like both from, Kubrick and uh, Arthur Clark, like that, that was, that was by design. They yeah. wanted it to feel that way. They wanted it yeah. to, to sort of itch at your mind and yeah. really trouble you, uh, not necessarily trouble you, but, but, but beg you challenge to do you. more, challenge you. There we go. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think that that's so interesting to, well, to choose uh, to, to make something this big, <laughs> but also like make it uh, so confounding. I have a little bit of an undercooked thesis um, that the uh, the the motion towards you know turning this film into something manageable, right, mm-hmm. which uh, fundamentally becomes a, an act of intellectual violence mm-hmm. that uh, the government has deceived us about this moon landing, is uh, actually reflective of a natural human in- inclination to take that which is metaphorical and beautiful that raises questions that invites exploration rather than sort of pat answers. And then to turn those texts or stories or works of art into then um, foundations for violence. Well, Dustin, I'll tell you what, there's no shortage of uh, internet essay, video essays online uh, explaining the ending of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. And I think the very, very best one that I found was one that said, what you, what, you want to explain the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey? Can't be done. It defies it, and I, that's the, truly my favorite one. Now, again, it right. had a it was a very good essay. It's uh, from the Take, uh, a channel that I like quite a bit. Um, but again, it, its explanation uh, of the ending of two thousand one video was: you can't explain the end of this movie, and trying to do so defeats you. Like you're you're actively doing something the movie's not designed to do. It's it's right. uh, you're trying to make a square pig fit in a round hole. Yeah. Well, I, I De- think when is, you go ahead. I was just gonna say, is Deckard a replicate? Doesn't matter. Yeah. Not important. Yeah. Doesn't matter. That's the point. Yeah. And uh, now, Dustin, to, to circle back to what you were saying, are you saying that trying to shoehorn a, a logical uh, closed loop ending on this is an act of ideological or intellectual violence? Right. And it gives rise to act of intellectual violence and that we might be able to trace uh, the violence per- uh, precipitated by those who've taken other texts that are supposed to be open ended and exploratory. Uh, might be because of the same sort of uh, impulse that that's that's why people do violence in the name of the Bible or of uh, the sutras of the Buddha or of um, you know I'm, I'm thinking about the anti-Muslim violence done by Buddhists in Sri Lanka recently or about that that done by Islam or a- any other number of political ideologies as well. I mean, done by any number of nation states, right? right. Like this nation state uh, or this. This group of non-state actors is in opposition to this nation-state's interests, so we can do visit violence upon them till we're done, and justify it in that sense. And yeah. that—that's what I'm—I'm I'm sort of uh, hinting at here, is that we might be able to see in maybe a more manageable way. Okay, we're doing violence to the text of 2001 by turning it into just this sort of apology for the moon landing, but also it seems to be that the text is sort of wrestling with questions of what brings us to violence. And sort of trying to help us work beyond that. And we see it instead as a way in which it justifies a government to do an intellectual violence. But then this is the same thing people do with the Bible. It's the same thing people do with any number of works of art or ideological discourses. So I don't know. It's like I said, it's an undercooked thesis, but I, 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 I think there's something there. Hey, we got to talk about the moon landing conspiracy, so I'm happy. You know, if that came <laughs> up, we, we did our job as far as I'm I, concerned. I, I think we probably have. And since we have done our job at this point, let's go ahead and render a verdict on this film. What do you say? Show for trash on 2001, a space Aussie. Surprise me, Arthur. What do you say? Uh, yeah, shelf. Yeah. You didn't surprise me. Okay. Dalton, your turn. Sorry. Surprise me. Show for trash. You shouldn't have to have this on your shelf. Uh, this should be uh screening near you at least once a month. Uh, 
forever. You should be able to find this movie in cinemas. Uh, if only. Yeah, regularly. If AMC just had a room devoted to this, Bingo. wouldn't that be perfect? Yeah, I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I guess own it if you got the setup for it. Why not? Especially, I'm sure there's going to be a 4K of this coming out at some point that's going to look incredible. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe wait till you can see it in theaters. If you're like a little unsure about this, if you're like, this movie just sounds like a huge pain in the ass. Totally fair. Uh, it is long. Um, I, I think the the big screen experience cannot be understated on this one. It really is. It's, it's one of the happiest uh, movie going experiences in my life. I'm just so glad I got to see this movie big because it rules. Uh, so I, I would say that I would say in a perfect world, this is on big screens and you don't have to have it in your uh, your library of, of DVDs and, and Blu-rays. But yeah, you know what? If you got the setup at home for it, you got to get this one, man. You just only so you can say you have it, so you have the option of watching it. Absolutely. And uh, since you can make errors, and we do make errors, we are not yet there at that place in which we can have these uh, screenings at all times. I also would say shelf because, yes, it's just it it is essential watching. So it's been on my shelf for a long time, and it continues to be. So there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts. Um, Dalton, can you tell the dear listener how they can continue the conversation with us all? Yeah, if you want to talk more about Hal and his feelings, you can find us on Twitter at Good Trash Media. Uh, everything we're making goes up over there, and as well as you know, stuff by people we like. Uh, so again, that's at Good Trash Media on Twitter. Uh, if you can't imagine yourself going onto that terrible, terrible website, I don't blame you. You can send us an email if that's more your speed at GoodTrashGenreCast at Gmail dot com. Uh, finally, if you want to help us keep the lights on and uh, get some free, well, free ish uh dvds and blu-rays for your own library you can go to patreon.com forward slash gtm um there's there's some uh donor levels there for you to look at and uh yeah if, if you pick the right one you get to fill out a little survey and we'll send you something in the mail for you to add to your collection uh we, we put it through the old Arthurtron 9000 and uh find out the movie that's just the right fit for you totally safe i promise <laughs> yeah no no danger of death or dismemberment whatsoever. <laughs> true uh, just again, the the Arthur Tron nine thousand is a benign benign figure and is not some sort of evil algorithm that's going to use your outrage to power a computer simulation that enslaves people's minds. Daisy. No, oh my! Well, hey Arthur, um, are we going to continue this marathon? Uh, I, I believe we are. Uh, you can tell your buddy back there to uh, calm down. Uh, because I wish we'll... I, I'm like two rooms away from him. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. Watson. Sweet boy. He is a good boy. Uh, I still need to hang out with him and Giles. Uh, next week, we are going back to space as we take on Andre Tarkovsky and investigate Solaris. What if the planet's conscious? You'll find out next week, but we'll keep watching and keep talking until then, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not sure.